2: Hey, it's Rachel Cook, your modern mentor. I'm the founder of Lead Above Noise, a firm poised to be your partner in retaining, engaging, and developing talent. And today, I'm excited to bring you this interview with Ryan Jenkins, one of the authors of Connectable, How Leaders Can Move Their Teams from Isolated to All In. Ryan Jenkins is one of the co-founders of LessLonely.com, the world's number one resource for addressing workplace loneliness and creating more belonging at work. He's helped organizations like FedEx, Coca-Cola, The Home Depot, Salesforce, Wells Fargo, and more improve their teams. And in today's interview, he'll be sharing some fascinating data on the real impacts of loneliness and some practical ways we can all rediscover and amplify
1: our feeling of connection.
2: Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today on the Modern Mentor Podcast. I'm really excited to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this conversation.
2: Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and jump in. I would love to start with Just a little bit of context around why you chose to write this book and maybe even why you chose to write it now.
1: Yeah. So I've uh, I've been a speaker and consultant for about a decade and uh, my work centers on the future of work. And my last book was all about Generation Z, the youngest generation entering the workforce and what we could expect for the future of work as they pour into the workforce. And um, it was in writing that book and researching that book, I found that 79% of Gen Z say that they experience loneliness often or always. And how alarming is that, right? And so did some digging and figured out this is the first time we're having the emerging generation experiencing more levels of loneliness than our elderly community. So there's a big imbalance here. So I wanted to figure out why this is happening and what we could do to help. And that launched me into learning more about loneliness and connection. And Rachel, if you'd can believe it. This was all happening pre pandemic. Then the pandemic hit and I brought all this research to my clients thinking, Hey, does anyone want to talk about loneliness and connection? I didn't, to be honest, I didn't think anybody would, but everyone did. I've never had an appetite for a program and a topic like that. And then that accelerated the research where now we, uh, re, uh we interviewed over 2000, Uh, global workers. And we worked alongside 50 leaders to really offer some tangible insights into how we can create a more connected workforce. And that led to the book, Connectable, How Leaders Move Teams From Isolated to All In. And it hit number seven on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. So it struck a chord. And I think finally, folks are ready to talk about this. And I'm excited to be talking about it with you today.
2: Maybe this would be a really interesting time for you to define loneliness because you know, for, for some of us we're thinking about, and I'm, I'm raising some, some Gen Z people, so not yet in the workforce, but you know, you look at these kids and they are at least pre-pandemic, certainly out in the world, surrounded by people, but they're feeling lonely and that feels a little bit maybe confusing. So can you shed some light on that?
1: Yeah. Uh, Before I define loneliness and give you a little bit more context there, I think it's also important to clarify too, our work kicked off looking at Gen Z, Turns out we're all experiencing loneliness and isolation. So according to our research, 72% of global workers say they experience loneliness at least monthly with 55% saying at least weekly. So it's a universal human condition and it's something we all experience. However, it still does seems to be a little bit more acute with the emerging generations for reasons we can unpack in a little bit. Um, But just know this is, you know, loneliness is no respecter of person. We all experience it. And in fact, it's useful because it's our literally our biological cue that we belong together. So it's helpful that we have this emotion and we should not shroud it in shame because again, it's very useful and we all experience it. It's not the absence of people. It's the absence of connection. So listeners can probably relate. You've been in a crowded office and perhaps felt feelings of isolation or alienation because you didn't have strong connections with those people. Conversely, if you were working remotely and you have really strong connection to your team members and the leader and your the work itself and the vision of the organization, you might not experience that same level of alienation or isolation as that person in the crowded office. So it's not predicated on the presence of people. That's why, you know, connection can be cultivated virtually although it's harder to do it still can be cultivated virtually and then if we buy into that definition that it's the absence of connection we really start need to think about what is connection and if you zoom out i mean the first connection when you think about is connection with oneself so actually solitude is oftentimes the first line of defense against loneliness so that's kind of it's kind of weird to think about right aloneness uh can lessen loneliness um So connection with oneself, connection with your team members, your leaders, the organizational culture. You know, if you want to think spiritually, there's all these connection points that we can really nurture uh, to keep loneliness at bay.
2: And I'm curious, Ryan, as you were having these conversations with people who were identifying with feeling lonely, did you get any articulation of what that felt like? How would people describe the experience?
1: That's a great question. And most people don't know. (laughs) We in general, humans are wildly ill-equipped to manage our emotions and, and understand our emotions. In fact, you you, have, you don't have to look much further than Brene Brown's recent book, which was called Atlas of the Heart. And the reason she wrote that book, and it's a really big book if anyone's read it, she wrote it because she found that people only have access to three emotions, mad, sad, and glad. turns out we've got 80 plus different emotions that we experience. And I think that's a testament to just how little we know about these these more complex emotions. As we begin to understand how these complex emotions impact us, we'll start to be able to understand more about them. You know, if you we're talking to a psychologist, they'd probably tell you, you got to name it before you can tame it. So we're still very much in this awareness stage. So back to your question, as far as, you know, what does it feel like? It's it's hard to describe and it's it's really, we don't know, does loneliness come first and then that depression follows? Or does depression happen and then we begin to isolate ourselves and then we begin feeling lonely? If I was a betting person, I would say so many of the, the issues that we face at work and even in our personal lives, it's because of disconnection. I think if we can solve that connection, because belonging is our most significant need that you and I have as human beings, it's not our most urgent need, but it is our most significant need if we can cultivate that and nurture it i think a lot of other goodness flows from that
2: i love the way that you just distinguished urgent from significant and i think you know there are a lot of people just in in conversations i feel like i've had over the past couple years there have been so many threats to our urgent needs throughout the course of the pandemic, right? We have been living in fear. We've been afraid for our health. Many people have suffered from, you know, real economic distress. And I think for some people, we've sort of had this default position of poo-pooing loneliness because come on, people have real problems. And I love the way that you just said it may not be our most urgent, but it is our most significant. And, um, I wonder if you could just talk about that a little bit. What what does that mean to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you think about um, when we're born and we're infants, what's our first need that we have um, outside of oxygen? You know, that's kind of a given. Yeah. But people, we're
2: hungry. We're cold.
1: Yeah. You touch people would say food. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, warmth, things like that, shelter. But if you think about all those things outside of oxygen. What, what, come, what needs to come even before that? A caring connection, right? Someone has to care enough about that human life to provide those things, provide food, touch, water, shelter, not water, but shelter. And so in the very fundamental, if you're thinking about through that lens, you go, oh yeah, it is. It's all about connection. And we point to more uh, scientific research uh, in the book. We look at Harvard University's study around the adult development, and it's the longest running study ever of adult development. It's gone on for over 80 years They've studied over 2,000 people at this point, and it's still ongoing. And they, they monitor people throughout their whole life, and they monitor their brains and their physical, all their physical well-being and their finances, and they talk to their their close social ties. And over those 80 years, the goal was to find what contributes to a long and healthy life, and they figured it out. All, over all 2,000 of those people, 80 years, they found that the most uh, significant contributor to our, our health and well-being is connection with others. It's not diet. It's not exercise. It's it's connection with others. And so, again, it's hard and it's it's intangible because, again, it's not in front of us, right? I feel hungry. I, I want. I, I need to fill that need. You know, it's hard to kind of wrap your head, hand around belonging and connection, and it's really hard to assess how strong my connections are. We're, we're trying to do a lot to, to help folks identify that and assess that and measure it. And so it just kind of goes in the back of our brain, right? And we're not always... Thinking about it, but boy, it is so significant. So we created a new model that kind of challenges Maslow's hierarchy of need. And Maslow's put belonging right in the middle, and we decided to create a model that looks like a Wi-Fi signal, to where the t- the bar on the top that's the biggest is belonging. So again, it's not our most urgent; it would be food, water, shelter, the biggest one that provides the most longevity in life and the biggest protection to all the ailments that we eventually face in life. It's belonging. So that's kind of how I think about it. And, you know, the more you unpack it and you think about it, you think about when you're most happy in life and when you had those, those, those cherished moments, your proudest moments, you know, it's all around connection with people.
0: Hey there, Brenda. It's Carol. Exactly.
1: So which leg are we operating on?
0: You mean arm?
1: It's all connected. Asking the right question
0: can greatly impact your future. Are you sure you're an orthopedist? Actually, I'm a Sagittarius. Especially when it comes to your finances. Do you have a question? Are you a certified financial planner? Yes, I'm a CFP professional. CFP professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.
2: So Ryan, this podcast lives as part of the quick and dirty tips network. And we have a show on fitness and we have a show on nutrition. But this is a show about workplace success. And so I hear you that belonging is really important to our physical and our biological wellness. But I'd love to get your perspective on why we should be thinking about this in the context of workplace success.
1: Yeah, a couple of things. So um, I'll share two interesting research to give you some more context on why this is so important. The first is they've done research on what happens to the body when we experience exclusion. So when we're put through an experience of exclusion, our brain lights up and it's the same part of our brain that registers physical pain. So when you're experiencing exclusion or isolation, your body is treating it like flight or flight. And so imagine if you were to walk into work tomorrow and you had a bleeding appendage would you want a, a coworker or colleague to be like oh that well yeah, gosh it looks that looks terrible But you know don't worry about it just get to work and you'd be like no I can't focus I got to deal with this you know this bleeding appendage so you'd be distracted at best and debilitated at worst wouldn't you the same is true when we're experiencing that sense of loneliness because our brain is in fight or flight. So we're in a high stress state. So there's no, we're not going to be able to focus on work. We're not going to be able to show up fully for our team members and our clients and our customers. So we have to address these things so that we can, we can put our body in a, in a state of, of well-being to where we can really show up fully. So we have to start understanding these more complex mental health challenges so we can address it and be our full selves at work. So that's research one. The second research that's I find the most compelling or most interesting at at the very least. Uh, They did some research recently where they had an individual uh, look at a hill from a distance, like a hill, they were going to climb this hill and they asked them to evaluate the steepness of that hill. And then a second group of of folks, they put two people together and they had those two people assess the, the steepness of that hill. And when you were partnered with another person, the group Identify the steepness of the hill with a thirty percent reduction in steepness. So that means when we are with others, when we feel like we're connected, ready to surmount a common goal or mission or challenge or obstacle, it's thirty percent easier, uh, at least in our minds. And so that's wow. why it's it's so compelling to have these connections and feel like we're part of a team. And your question is, why do we address this at work? It's because work gets 30% easier when we feel connected with others and we're tackling the same issues together.
2: That's fascinating. That's a really, really interesting piece there. So, you know, Ryan, in my business, I do a lot of work with organizations around crafting impactful employee experiences. And when I talk about impactful, for me, that is not about sunshine and rainbows. It's not about making people happy. It is about creating experiences in which talent can thrive in service of business outcomes, right? And when I work with clients, I talk about exploring and tweaking and making adjustments in four key quadrants that I think ladder up to this employee experience. And they are the conditions in which people can deliver their best work, their best ideas, their efficiencies, they have their tools and resources, they can develop, right, new skills they feel challenged and invested in, they can connect. To, to team, to purpose, they feel a sense of inclusion and belonging, and finally, they can thrive, which for me is about feeling well and appreciated and whole and balanced. And in my work, I'm finding that companies are, are really getting three of these four quadrants, right? They understand how to tweak things so that people can deliver more effectively, they feel developed, they can thrive... But I'm finding that connection is the one that companies are having the hardest time wrapping their heads around, right? How do we take this connection bucket and turn it into stuff that is tangible actions that we can take? Uh, and I would love to get your perspective for anybody who is listening, who's a leader in a position to be driving the employee experience. What are a couple of tangible recommendations you can offer around how to drive that sense of connection?
1: We're often miss understanding connection. I think too often people lump it in with communication, but communication and connection are very different things. So communication is dealt, connection is felt. I'll say that one more time. Communication is dealt, but connection is felt. So communication is what we're doing now more than ever, right? All all these video conferencing tools and email and text and instant message and social collaboration tools. We are communicating now more than ever And a lot of us, and it sounds like, you know, a lot of the organizations you're working with or have connected with, they feel like they're connected because they have all these tools. But in reality, that's just communication. Connection happens in the back of the brain. Communication happens in the front. Listeners can probably relate. I mean, you've probably texted, I love you to a significant other over text. It's not the same as being in person and experiencing that presence, perhaps that embrace of someone. There's a big difference there. And so I think first, that's where we need to start. We need to understand that communication is not connection. And if connection is what we're after, and that's what it is, it's, it's this idea of being seen, heard, and valued. We've got to create environments where that can happen. And really the foundation to a lot of this is psychological safety, right? Is creating that space where we feel safe to engage. The thing that our brain is asking for or seeking five times per second, all right, imagine that five times per second the thing that your brain is seeking. And this is wild, Rachel, when I ask uh, live audiences and I'll do some live polling and sometimes there'll be hundreds or a thousand people in the audience and they'll they'll be texting. And it's rare that anyone ever guesses what their brain is seeking five times per second. And in the last session where I did this, someone actually uh, submitted the absence of a tiger, which was very humorous, (laughs) but it was actually true because what what your brain is seeking is safety. Your brain's constantly Uh surveying your surroundings, the people around you. It's constantly looking, making sure that everything is safe. So when we create psychological safety and we can turn that knob down, turn that noise that where your brain's just constantly hitting on all cylinders, trying to assess the safety of the situation, when we can create situations where things are safe, people are feeling seen, valued, and heard, that creates the, the right environment where people can really start interacting and cultivating some deep connections. And practically how this might look like, I mean, they've done studies where the most successful teams, in fact, Google did a, a very extensive study, hundreds of teams, and they found psychological safety was the key to team success, but more specifically it was about having proportionate conversations where everyone felt like they had the same amount of time to have a voice. And one way that leaders can do that inside organizations is just speaking last, right? Creating that space where folks are having thoughts and opinions uh, heard. So practically creating psychological safety is really the bedrock as it relates to creating more connection at work.
2: So what about, you know, we're we're in this moment right now, we're recording this, right? We're coming right up on about Q3 in 2022. And we're in this moment where companies are trying to figure out what their future of work looks like. Will they or won't they return to an office? and And we're seeing companies start to I would describe it as kind of legislate connection a little bit. So everybody in the office on Thursdays, or you have to be here twice a week. And I don't take a stand on that either way, but I am curious how you are watching these types of communications play out and, and what your brain is kind of responding to in them.
1: Yeah, great question. It is. I mean, it's, and it's such a sensitive topic to um, Malcolm Gladwell recently came out and had a very pro office statement that went viral, right? And and that was uh, indicative of just how sensitive this topic is. And everyone has very sensitive and strong opinions in this space. I'll go back to what I said originally, you know, connection isn't necessarily predicated on presence. So you still can cultivate connection in virtual environments. So Hybrid remote, I think, will forever be on the table. We have to work that much harder if it's in these environments that we're wanting to cultivate connection, um, because it doesn't happen as easily as if if we're in the room together. But I think one of the reasons why we're really struggling with this, and I think our brain is lying to us to some degree. So I'm gonna I'm gonna slant a little bit more because I think everyone loves the remote work piece. I'm gonna try to paint the picture of being together. I'm going to try to make that case to try to hopefully balance things out for some folks. We have three psychological nutrients that we that we need. One is competency, another is autonomy, and the third is connectedness. So autonomy and connectedness are really kind of at odds right now. So when Malcolm Gladwell came out and said, get back in the office, people were very outspoken about that not being a good idea. Why? Because their autonomy was being attacked. Right. All of a sudden they had this autonomy, this freedom to, to kind of in flexibility in their schedule. And they felt like that was being taken away. A, a, a psychological nutrient was being taken away. So I think people are putting up their guards and trying to defend with their employers or team to say, Hey, no, I want to keep this autonomy. So that, that makes sense. Cause that's what humans crave. But the other side of this too is connection and we need connection. And so I think like our, our brain is wanting autonomy, but I think our soul wants connection. We've got to keep those both in mind. We can be more productive and, and work remotely, but we have to prioritize those connection pieces because our brain is misleading us in a high degree. And it's just natural as humans, we'll move towards the path of least resistance. And in this case, remote work is the path of least resistance. And oftentimes there's a cost to moving towards convenience. And most of the time that cost is connection, right? That's what Uber and and DoorDash and all these wonderful technologies, we're turning towards them. And we're slowly turning our back on humanity, and we've got to be really careful because if we do, we're going to pull further apart, and we're all going to be in big trouble if we do that.
2: For me, it, it feels a little bit like efficiency versus the bigger picture, which is to say that it it is in you know probably nine out of ten cases, it is probably objectively more efficient for everybody to just work at home, and we've proven we can we can deliver right, we can be productive, we can generate the outcomes that we need. Um, and it's, it's measurable, right? That productivity is measurable. It's quantitative. But what is being lost? You know, you talked earlier about sort of the mind versus the soul. And it's really hard to measure the impact on a soul, right? But on some level, we are, we are losing something that's harder to measure. And so it kind of gets less attention. Our, our brains give us permission to, to let that carry less weight. But I, f- feel it, right? A lot of my work and and maybe yours as well, you know, I'm certainly a big consumer of research, but I'm also a big believer in just intuition and a lot of what is what is right in the workplace is about just watching and listening and paying attention and and letting your intuition speak. And intuitively, it does feel like we are we are losing something. And so it'll be so interesting to watch. But I'm grateful that we we have your book here at least to to give it some quantitative weight. So hopefully that will help us out a little bit.
1: Yeah, let me share one more thing on this topic because. Yeah. It- Technology and social media, when we asked, when we surveyed those 2,000 folks, they said that that was the number two thing contributing to their disconnection. And we specifically looked at social media and how that's really, you know, kind of disconnecting folks, but it wasn't disconnecting everybody. So where social media was helpful was where people had a a strong connections and relationships with people in the real world. And then they mm. used social media as a supplement to kind of keep up with the lives of those strong those strong relationships they had in the real world. Where we get in trouble is we we just you know follow people and consume social. We feel like again we're connected with these folks, In reality we don't actually have a a rich connection with them offline. So I, yeah. I think there's a lot of parallels to be drawn in the work world too, right? To where again we're we're communicating more and more and more. And we feel like we're connected. But at the end of the day, it's, it's not serving us as well as we think from a productive productivity standpoint, sure. But from a culture standpoint and a health standpoint and a retention and all these other things, it's not as can be as useful. So we need to you know, focus on how do we create those genuine relationships and connections with our colleagues and then supplement it with a lot of this remote work and other technologies that we use on a day to day basis.
2: So let's go there, Ryan. For for people who are, and it sounds like a lot of us are, experiencing some version of loneliness on some kind of regularly occurring basis, and maybe their company is fully remote, or frankly, maybe they're back in the office, but they're just somehow not feeling connected. Uh, what advice can you offer just for individuals who are experiencing loneliness or disconnection? What can they do to, to sort of flip that switch a little bit?
1: Yeah, I think... Um... Well, first know that you're not alone and that loneliness isn't shameful. It's a universal human condition. And again, it's useful. We feel it because we were better together and connected in in community. So just start there that that's, you know, that's normal. And I like to tell people, just assume everyone around you wants more connection, because that's pretty much true. Everyone wants more connection. So, you know, hopefully that gives you at least a little bit of confidence to step forward and, and nurture some of those connections. But the, the other aspect of this too, what, what's really tricky about loneliness is when we experience it, we turn inward. We start slowly to turn inward. We get hyper vigilant uh, around our emotions and those around us we begin distrusting other folks that are maybe trying to help. So sometimes if you're experiencing higher levels of loneliness, sometimes you, you can't really help yourself and it's going to take the people around you to proactively pull you back into the tribe. So that's why if you're listening to this and you're like, Oh, I, I've, Got loneliness on lockdown. I don't. I don't really ever experience it. Well, good. We need you because there's other around you that aren't experiencing that, and we need you to be those that 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 proactively pull people in because we're only as unified and as connected as our loneliest team members or our loneliest community members. So there's there's a lot of things that we can do, and in the book we've got a lot of resources of how to identify folks that might be starting to detach. So some of those signs might be a lack of learning and development, right? If 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 you yourself or you, you're you experiencing someone else just not being interested in having those career progression conversations or they're not proactive about uh, learning new things or attending a conferences, et cetera, not wanting to talk personal, right? Talking 100% work, that can be a sign of someone starting to detach. Um, and then uh, excessive working can also be a way that you're kind of distracting yourself from some of those connections and relationships. But you asked, what can people personally do You know, one of the 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 top contributor to our loneliness and isolation is busyness. Research shows that time constraints severely limit our willingness to connect with others. So a big one is to just kind of evaluate your workload and where can you cut some things out? Can you show up 15 minutes early to your next appointment or meeting and just be present and just be open to whatever connection or conversation might occur? Because if we're going meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting, we're missing the margin where meaningful connections happen. So try to slow down a little bit, welcome more interruptions, you know, staying on task is for robots. We're still human. So look for those moments where something might grab your attention and, and, and lean into that. That can be helpful as well, especially if you're working remotely, if a neighbor or someone in your, in your home, there's an interruption turn into that uh, every now and then. And then, well, I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
2: and I'm going to I'm going to take the liberty to to build on your first one which was to try to arrive 15 minutes early. I'm going to take you one further and say, "Can you shorten the meeting by 15 minutes and repurpose the first 15 for connection?" Because I think that's part of our challenge. We are in back-to-back 60-minute meetings. We are assuming every conversation takes 60 minutes and we have lost, I mean, we've lost the time to go to the bathroom, let alone to connect with humanity. And so I think challenging ourselves to be a little bit creative in how we get the work done so that we're carving out time for connection, I think could be a way to think about it as well.
1: Yeah, wonderful. I love that. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we wrote the book for leaders because we felt like leaders were in the best position to make adjustments like the one you just said there. So so another one for for leaders is, is to like one of the leaders we profiled in the book, they created what they called the inside scoop. And so for five minutes at the top of every town hall meeting that they do every week, they have one individual share a picture and this could be done virtually or in person. They share a picture of something non work related. And the example they gave is that this one really talented researcher, she shared a picture of her marathon training and turns out she had qualified for Olympics in the past and no one had any idea. (laughs) So her whole team saw her as this competent researcher, but now they saw her as this extraordinary athlete, and now there's all these new connection points that people can relate to her and connect with. So creating just a small little thing like that can go a long way. And then the other question we always like to ask people is, you know, ask the question, "Are you relatable?" This is really important for leaders. Are you relatable? Have you shared something recently that someone can relate to? Because if it's all just business and you're just hammering through the agenda and da 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 you know, we can't relate and thus we can't connect with somebody. So you don't have to go get super vulnerable. Brene Brown would tell you way more on how to do that. I'm just going to ask you, are you relatable? And can you do subtle things to make yourself a little bit more relatable that opens some connection points that people can connect with you more so on?
2: Yeah. People want to be led by people, right? Yeah. (laughs) And you know, one thing I'll, I'll say here, and then I'm going to bring us to a close, but you said you wrote the book for leaders because leaders are in more of a position to take some of these actions. And I think that's fair. But I also want to encourage people who aren't in leadership roles to pick up this book. There's so much good stuff in there. And I think that what what's important to keep in mind, I, I talk to leaders all day long. And a lot of what they're saying to me is, I don't know exactly what my employees need from me. And I, I wish I did. I wish they would give me ideas or suggestions or feedback. And so even if you're not a leader, pick this book up and show up to your next one-on-one with your leader and offer them some suggestions because they are they are hungry for ideas and they don't know what's on your mind. They can't read them. And so I think this book is just super relevant for, for anybody who's interested in being part of making change in the workplace.
1: Well said. Thank you, Rachel.
2: Yeah. Awesome. So Ryan, is there, is there anything I haven't asked you that you feel like is just really important to share? And I'm going to bundle that with what do you think is the most important thing you want somebody to take away from this book?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, one of the top questions I get from folks is, is there, it's, it's kind of ironic, right? People are asking, is there a tool, is there some kind of technology I can use to create more connection in our organization? And I think it's a brilliant question. And the answer is yes. And I'll tell you about that in just a second. But again, it's, it's our human nature, right? We want this kind of quick fix to this big problem. But, you know, we're using this technology to save us time. Well, I hope we were going to use this time for useful things in the future, which is connect with one another. But there's this great um, company that 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 we think is doing a lot of great work, and it's called Like Minded. So it's a, I think the link is Like mindedai They're an AI powered workplace connection software. So they use uh, it's kind of like the eHarmony for for working professionals, and uh, they use personality, life stages, interests to connect with you with someone inside an organization where you think you'd be either a really a strong friend to or a strong mentor mentee relationship. And um, it's amazing. Gallup's done some pretty extraordinary work on just having one friend at work does extraordinary things for your satisfaction at work, performance, retention. It's pretty extraordinary. So tools like that, like like like-minded, I think are the future of work and creating environments where we can leverage the tech that we all love and are using and then also use that to actually uh, springboard us into more meaningful connections. The last question you asked was, know, kind of what do people want to walk away from this? I think the biggest thing, you know, we're kind of just in this awareness stage of connection and loneliness. And we just want people to know that it's a universal human condition. Probably heard me say that today. (laughs) And it's not shameful. It's a signal. And it's a signal that we belong together. At the end of the day, no matter if you're introverted or extroverted, who you are, we pine for people. And every now and then, we're going to want to scurry away to our you know, our, our devices and our solitude and whatever else. That's okay. Uh, but don't stay there long because your team needs you. You need your team. And at the end of the day, we're stronger together. We're healthier together. And together, ultimately, we belong.
2: Oof, what a lovely place to close. Ryan, it has been such a pleasure having you. I really, really appreciate all of your insights and your suggestions.
1: Thanks for having me, Rachel. Appreciate it.
2: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ryan. Learn more about his work at lesslonely.com and pick up a copy of his book, co-authored with Stephen Van Cohen, Connectable, How Leaders Can Move Teams from Isolated to All-In. Please join me next week for another great episode. Until then, visit my website at leadabovenoise.com if your organization is looking for partnership in retaining, engaging, or developing talent. You can follow Modern Mentor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow me on the Modern Mentor page on LinkedIn. Thanks so much for listening and have a successful week. Modern Mentor is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Dan Farabend with script editing by Adam Cecil. Our podcast and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings. Our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin, and our intern is Cameron Lacey.